Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L all the way from the north of England. Episode 16, Job Harder, where we focus on just one effect of the abuse scandal in church life, which is that youth work is now a lot more difficult. Today, I want you to walk a mile or two in the shoes of a youth worker running a church youth group. You might be a lay volunteer, you might be a professional youth worker, you might be ordained, it doesn't matter. You're running a church youth group. Let's say you've been eating hot dogs and toasting marshmallows in a fire on bonfire night and it took a little bit longer than you expected to get the fire going, and it's a bit later than normal for ending your Sunday night youth group. So it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, and six of your teenagers have already gone home, but you've got half a dozen teenagers left who need to get home. They live from a few streets away to a couple of miles away, It's just started raining and you don't think their parents will be very impressed if you let them walk home. So what do you do? What I would have done when I was a curate in the 1990s is I would have sent these six young people home in two cars, each driven by a leader. A typical car can carry four people. And just to be awkward, I'm assuming that all the leaders in this group have small cars like minis. And the ideal scenario would be if one of the leaders is the parent of one of the teenagers so that they can taxi round the town and the last child left in the car would be their own. That way, the adult leader would never be left in the car alone with a child who wasn't their own. Safeguarding sorted. I would have thought, easy peasy, job done. The child's safety and the leader's reputation are both protected, I would have thought. But that was then, and the world has changed. As safeguarding has evolved, the rules are now much stricter. Remember, you've got six teenagers needing to get home. And the key difference now is that the rule is quite clear you need two adults in each car. And most cars can take four, so do the maths. And what you need to get to get your six teenagers home is three cars with six leaders. That's two leaders in each car. No individual leader can be left with children in the car on their own. Your vehicle requirement has only gone up by 50%, but your leader requirement has now tripled from two to six people, who, of course, must all have been police-checked and safeguarding trained. I was talking to one vicar friend of mine who says the best way around this is for the church to have a minibus. Well, minibuses are not free, so straight away there's an extra cost to the church Does anybody think churches have got money to spare? In fact, that would be an excellent way of widening the disparity between richer and poor churches in the youth work they provide. 
Negative Effects of Abuse Scandal on Church Life number 571. But the idea of a minibus takes me back to one of the most frightening things I ever did in church youth work. Just in case anyone thinks that a magic minibus is the magic solution to the safety of children, let me tell you my minibus tale. When I was a curate, I took the responsibility of the safety of children pretty seriously. Child protection policies were coming in, and I could see the sense of getting it right. But I never forget the time when I realised I was getting it badly wrong. I was sat in the driver's seat of a white minibus with a couple of tired leaders who were school teachers. It was a Friday afternoon and they were bombed out and only half alive. They were sat beside me and then behind us a dozen excited teenagers as we motored out into the big busy main roads going out of London into the Kent countryside in the rush hour of a Friday afternoon en route to our youth group weekend away. I was sober and awake and alert and of course I was paying attention. The only problem was as the enormity of the responsibility for this precious cargo started to sink in, I couldn't really drive. Well, not very well. I had a driving license. I'd passed the test. But I'd never owned a car and I hadn't driven for a couple of years and somehow the skill had rusted away. I kept crashing the gears and veering too close to one side and then too close to the other. And within a couple of miles, the kids were starting to tease me. One bright spark asked if I'd passed my test. Another asked if the curate was trying to take the youth group to heaven. I pulled into a lay-by, covered in sweat and admitted defeat. None of the other leaders aboard could drive, so I found a phone box and called the scout leader whose minibus it was and persuaded him to come and drive us to our destination in Kent. So can you understand my slightly wry smile as my vicar friend tells me that the best way for a church youth group to comply with safeguarding these days is to have a minibus. We need robust rules for keeping children safe and the church of my youth had a lot of catching up to do. The problem is that these rules cannot guarantee the safety of children. They can guarantee to make life harder for youth workers though. So where do you think I'm going with this? Am I asking the church to go back to the good old days of common sense before the world was ruined by elf and safety? No, I'm not. The world really has changed. The church really has changed. And now we know that paedophiles misuse church positions to get access to children. We need rules for our behaviour that would have sounded ridiculous only a generation ago. Every church leader, lay or ordained, needs to be on top of safeguarding and follow the rules for keeping out of trouble. What I'm interested in today is how this makes the job of church leadership so much more difficult. When I look at the young clergy of today, 
I think their work is harder than it was for me in all sorts of ways. If they want to take a bunch of kids away for the weekend, they've got much more paperwork and preparation to do. They need risk assessments and consent forms from parents. They need higher ratios of adult leaders for every stage of contact time with minors. Does anyone think it's become easier to get adult volunteers for these roles? Does anyone think life has become freer and less pressured for grown-up lay people, that their jobs and home lives have become less demanding, so they've got nothing better to do than on a full-on weekend give 24-hour long days of youth work, taking responsibility for children with their preparation meetings and clearing up and cleaning up afterwards. Does anyone think you can triple the number of leaders you need for something as simple as just getting half a dozen kids home without making the whole thing so much more difficult, possibly too difficult, so it just doesn't happen. In my 20s, the biggest event in youth work each year was the annual summer venture camp. We didn't camp under canvas. We stayed in boarding schools, usually in Dorset and Devon, for about a week. Many, many young people would pin their own spiritual awakening back to a camp when the light switched on for them. This was a really important training ground for those of us who wanted to get ordained. It was the first place many of us ever gave a Bible talk or were trained to lead a small group. We spent a lot of time at really close quarters with the youngsters. So once again, it's no surprise that some young people were abused on these camps and that child protection has to move up a gear or three. For instance, the adult leaders used to sleep in the dormitories next to the children. Of course, you would never do that now, for good reasons. I suppose we used to sleep in the dorms because we had this view that we were creating this Christian community like one big happy family, where we did everything together from brushing our teeth to reading the Bible, and probably to save money, so we could offer the parents as low a cost as possible. We wanted to make our camps as accessible as possible. So, okay, the world has changed. Sleeping alongside children is far too dangerous, now we know about abuse. But just consider the effect of this. If you're a leader and you're trying to get an over-lively dormitory of overexcited 14-year-olds to calm down and go to sleep, it's much harder if you're not in the room. So some of them are going to be overtired the next day, which will cause all sorts of problems. And what about the money? The tradition was that leaders always paid for their own place to make sure no parents thought we were having a free holiday at their expense. But now more accommodation is needed and someone has to pay for it. Probably the camp fee goes up for everybody, children and leaders. So yes, the leader is paying more money to give up a week of their holiday. The organisation I did camps with was called Cypher, Church Youth Fellowship Association, which was an Anglican evangelical parachurch organisation. It was a thriving national network with support for church youth groups all over England. Roll the clock forward 30 years 
and it doesn't really exist anymore as a national organisation. And remember, we evangelicals were the part of the Church of England that was really big on youth work. There was a time when I, as an evangelical curate, would have thought that the director of Cypher was perhaps only one or two notches below the Archbishop of Canterbury, certainly more important than an ordinary bishop. The whole national network and key organisation has gone, just as church youth work has got even harder. And their camps, or ventures as they now call them, have shrunk in number. There aren't as many of them. What a surprise. So Cypher was the church-based network. Then there were school-based networks, principally Scripture Union, who supported selective networks aimed at certain types of schools. Since we're talking about child abuse, the most notorious was the Ewan Trust camps held in Dorset with groups in all top public schools. This group has provided the most notorious example of abuse we've seen in recent years on camps. A barrister in Winchester invited schoolboys round to his home for tea and cake and naked beatings. Yes, you did hear me right. A prominent and influential leader of the top public school evangelical Bible-bashing network was beating boys bare bottoms until they bled in some misguided method of spiritual discipline, which seems to have had a perverted sexual dimension for him. It's not surprising that the name Ewan has disappeared as the organisation has tried to distance itself from this abuse. And the cipher camps that I was involved with are not wholly removed from this, because the cipher camps were modelled on the Ewan approach. We had a model of ministry that we would have said was based on Jesus discipling the Twelve. The idea that you can't effect meaningful change in large numbers of people, so concentrate your energy on a small number of potential leaders. Spend a lot of time with them. Show them how to live the Christian life close up. But quite a lot of what we would have called discipleship, or personal ministry, is what we would now call grooming, an overly intense pressure on young people that's psychologically unhealthy. And even when it's not leading to sexual abuse, it can easily morph into spiritual abuse. Looking back, I think we were very naive about this. We really weren't very alert to the dangers of abuse in its different forms. The last time I went on a safeguarding course for clergy was quite a moment of truth for me. I could take in all the rules and procedures and would not really want to argue with any of them. But the realisation that slowly dawned was that if I were paid by the church now to run a church today, I wouldn't really have a clue what to do because the things I used to do in ministry, you can't really do anymore. So what would I do? Yes, there are plenty of tasks to do, but what about the real personal life-to-life ministry? I could still do small groups and lead services, but all that one-to-one work I used to do, well, you can't really do that anymore because it's too dangerous. So how would I have an honest conversation with a teenager whose family are pushing him into confirmation without the wrong ears listening in and putting him off. 
The biggest and most important effect of abuse is on the abused, of course. But now we know about this awful thing, it makes the work of clergy much harder. A difficult job is even harder. Thank you for listening to episode 16. We've got one more week talking about abuse and then we've got our summer pop festival where we've got two bands confirmed, The Bangles and Morrissey. <laughs>